dreams, but if you were out hiking in the uh, woods here or on some safari, whatever, and when the image of a growling lion or a grizzly bear travels through the optic nerve and into the visual cortex, the brain sends the body an urgent message. Run! That's what normal people do. But not dream chasers. Rather than seeing a 500-pound problem, they see an opportunity for God to show up and show his power. Has God given you a huge dream for your life, your family? Has he given you a huge dream for our community? 2 Samuel chapter 23 tells the story of an ancient warrior named Beniah who chased a lion into a pit on a snowy day and then killed it. The chapter also recounts the miraculous stories of David's other mighty men and their exploits for the kingdom of Israel. The chapter really should help us unleash the faith and courage you need to identify, to chase, and to catch the 500-pound dreams God has given you to reach your full potential in our world. Friends, I think the majority of us, if not all of us, we're living far below our potential. Far below the dreams that God has placed in our life. I want to tell, I'm living below my dreams, but it's over. I want to accomplish the dreams that God has given me. I'm getting on in years. I got a little bit of gray hair. Someone's leaving. But somebody says there may be snow on the roof, but there's still fire inside. And I'm believing God for some dreams to be ignited in your spirit this morning. 2 Samuel 23, verse 20, notice. Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, a valiant fighter from Kabzeel, performed great exploits. Say great exploits. He struck down Moab's two mightiest warriors. He also went down into a pit on a snowy day and killed a lion. And he struck down a huge Egyptian. Although the Egyptian had a spear in his hand, Benaiah went against him with a club. He snatched the spear from the Egyptian's hand and killed him with his own spear. Such were the exploits of Benaiah, son of Jehoiada. He too was as famous as the three mighty warriors. He was held in great honor than any of the thirty. But he was not included among the three. And David put him in charge of his bodyguard. Now there's a great guy to have as bodyguard. If you want anybody, you want this kind of a guy. But you know, the only way to tap your God-given potential to fill your God-ordained destiny is to chase 500-pound lions, 500-pound problems. Not let them chase you, but you chase them. By definition, a God-sized dream will be something beyond your ability, beyond your resources. Unless God does it, it can't be done. And that is precisely how God gets the glory. That's how he gets the praise. Napoleon Bonaparte made a distinction between two kinds of courage. Regular courage and two o'clock in the morning courage. The rarest attribute among generals, said the little corporal, is two o'clock in the morning courage. Fulfilling God's calling on your life requires two o'clock in the morning courage. Now what is two o'clock in the morning courage? Napoleon coveted those soldiers who displayed two o'clock in the morning courage. This was, in Napoleon's estimation, the highest form of courage. 
Two o'clock in the morning courage, he said, is unprepared courage. Unprepared courage. That type of boldness ignites a spiritual soldier to bolt out of bed in the middle of the night, instantly ready to praise the Lord and instantly ready to smite the devil. I think Napoleon would have been impressed with Smith Wigglesworth. Here's a quote from Smith Wigglesworth. He says, I don't ever ever ask Smith Wigglesworth how he feels. I jump out of bed. I dance before the Lord for at least 10 to 12 minutes, high-speed dancing. I jump up and down, run around my room, telling God how great he is, how wonderful he is, how glad I am to be associated with him and to be his child. Now, that's incredible. Now, I know all of you do that. You get up in the morning, and I, I don't know, maybe we say, good Lord, it's morning. But others of you say, good morning, Lord. And you're off and running. Smith and Wilkinsworth was an amazing individual. I so want this two o'clock in the morning courage, don't you? As Smith Wigglesworth often said, only believe for it. I wonder how difficulties, both literal and figurative, would fare against an army of Christians who jump out of bed with two o'clock in the morning courage. What would problems do? What would the enemy do? I'll tell you one thing, he stopped waking you up at two in the morning. He'd soon find something else to try and do. These warriors who would jump out of bed in a warrior dance with Psalm 149.6, the high praises of God in their mouth and a two-edged sword in their hand. Remember the story of, none of us were probably alive at the time, but remember the story of Wilbur and Orville Wright? They, were, they considered impossible by many. The Wright brothers changed history when they paved the way for human flight. At any given moment... On any given day, 5,000 airplanes carrying a million passengers are flying through the troposphere at 300 miles an hour. And it all started with a dream. It all began with a dream. It always does, friends. It always begins with a dream. People thought Robert Schuller was missing a few things upstairs when he built a glass cathedral in an earthquake zone. It all began with a dream. Too often the church complains about culture instead of creating it. The energy we spend on criticism is being stolen from creativity. It's sideways energy. We need fewer commentators and more innovators. Consider committing to chasing your God-given destiny. Don't be ruled by fear, but be ruled by the power of God. In fact, we need to say, what can we do this week to begin chasing our dream? What can I do this week to begin chasing that dream that God has given him? Friends, we don't die when our hearts stop beating. We die when our hearts stop skipping a beat in pursuit of our passions, when our hearts stop breaking for the things that break the heart of God. 2 Samuel 23, verse 8. These are the names of David's mighty warriors. Now, these are some handles, all right. Joseph Bashhebeth, Atakimanite, sounds like something out of outer space, was chief of the three. He raised his spear against 800 men whom he, he killed in one encounter. It ends with the phrase, in one encounter. I want you to take that phrase, in one, in this little phrase, 
It's so simple yet so powerful. That's all it takes. You are one encounter from your destiny. One encounter away. One off-the-cuff conversation. One crazy idea. One glance across a crowded room can change everything. What's true for Joseph Bashebeth is true for you. Just like the highest ranking member of David's mighty men, you need to pursue the passions God has given you by making the most of every, every encounter. Let's not waste one. When you're faithful to God, you produce a ripple effect that has the potential to change not only your life, but generations of lives. Rahab's risk during the Battle of Jericho changed the course of history forever. She became the great-great-grandmother of King David. Where the ripple effect of kindness ends, no one knows. And the same is true of love and grace and courage. Give it a generation or give it two. And it, it might just be the inciting incident that changes the course of history. It just might be. I'm not convinced that our true date of death is the date listed on our death certificate. Sadly, many people die long before their hearts stop beating. We start dying the day we stop dreaming. And ironically, we start living the day we discover a dream worth dying for. That's when we start living. That's what the mighty men found in David. They found a cause worth living for and a dream worth dying for. They were incredible guys. When we become passionate about the things that God is passionate about and sacrifice to follow those dreams, we can create ripples in the kingdom of God that last forever. It is all about overcoming our fears and dreaming again. I don't mean the kind of dreams you have after late night pizza. I'm talking about the dreams that God has placed in our heart and in our spirit and in our being from when he he came and began to live and dwell inside of us and began to give to us some glimpses of possibilities if we would just trust him. There's friends that you have, there's family members you have, and you sometimes have wondered if they would ever come to know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. I want to tell you, there's not a situation, a circumstance, or a person that's too hard for God to get through. Start dreaming. Start imagining what it would be like if that person was on their knees at the altar giving their life to Jesus Christ. Ask God to place in your mind a picture of that person repenting of their sin and turning to follow Jesus Christ. Don't see them as some reprobate, some irreconcilable person but see them as somebody whom Jesus Christ died for and he never wasted any part of his death he says I'm not willing any should perish that all should come to repentance one encounter just one encounter 2 Samuel 23 verse 9 Next to him was Eliezer, son of Dodai, the the Ahohite. As one of the the three mighty warriors, he was with David when they taunted the Philistines gathered at Paz-Damon for battle. Then the Israelites retreated. But Eliezer stood his ground and struck down the Philistines 
till his hand grew tired and froze to the sword. The Lord brought about a great victory that day. Notice, the Lord brought about a great victory that day. The troops returned to Eliezer, but only to strip the dead. Sometimes, friends, you may be the only one standing. Everybody else has gone to Starbucks or someplace. And you're the one standing in prayer. You're the one standing against what the enemy wants to do. But I want to tell you, they'll come, but they may only be there to gather the spoil. But you stand firm as one of God's mighty warriors whom he has anointed and given you a dream. Eliezer didn't win the victory of the day of the battle, friends. He won it in his preparation beforehand. No one achieves his or her dream without daily disciplines. No one. No one does. You know, Winston Churchill, we'll talk about him a little later, but Winston Churchill was really, he was the kind of a guy who had a problem speaking. He had a problem with um, speech class in school. And yet he became one of the greatest orators of Great Britain. The greatest ra- one of the greatest ralliers of troops. And the person who can instill courage and motivation in the lives of people. And yet in his life by himself, he was an insecure individual who constantly had to encourage himself and keep going and going and reminding himself of his position as Prime Minister of Great Britain. You can't just pray as if it depends solely on God. You also have to work as if it depends on you. It's your prayer ethic and your work ethic that will inch you closer to your dream. And we have to be committed to being disciplined, have a good work ethic, if we want to achieve our God-given dreams. We live in a culture that celebrates 15 minutes of fame. But God honors a lifetime of faithfulness. And the longer I live, the more I believe in long obedience in the same direction. Long obedience in the same direction. James, writing after Jesus' life on earth, talks about the power of discipline and perseverance in James 1.12. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. 2 Samuel 23, verse 13. During harvest time, three of the thirty chief warriors came down to David at the cave of Adullam. While a band of Philistines was encamped in the valley of Rephaim. At that time, David was in the stronghold and the Philistine garrison was at Bethlehem. David longed for water and said, Oh, that someone would get me a drink of water from the well near the gate of Bethlehem. And where were the Philistines? Bethlehem. So the three mighty warriors broke through the Philistine lines, drew water from the well near the gate of Bethlehem, and carried it back to David. But he refused to drink it. Instead, he poured it out before the Lord. Far be it from me, Lord, to do this, he said. 
Is it not the blood of men who went at the risk of their lives? And David would not drink it. In the grand scheme of God's good, pleasing, and perfect will, eternal gain infinitely offsets earthly pain. We live in a culture that idolizes success and demonizes failure. But in God's kingdom, the outcome isn't the issue. Success isn't winning or losing. It's obeying. Success is really obeying. And in this context here, in this text, David found himself against the ropes. He knew something, though. Eternal success is worth more than earthly success. And so he refuses to drink the water offered to him because of how it had been obtained. In our lives... Will we care more about our comfort than our faith? How will we react to hardship? Will we use it as an excuse to turn from God or as an opportunity to turn to God? David could have easily said, hey, thanks, guys. I really appreciate it and drank the water in front of these three mighty men. Realizing what these guys had gone through. He realized that he had to pour this out as a sacrifice to God. He could not indulge his own comfort at the risk of the sacrifice of his own men. Sometimes perhaps we have to think for a moment before we bask in some moment of pride or moment of self-sufficiency Maybe the blessing that God has given you hasn't been given to you, but rather been given to go through you to somebody else. Maybe not in this life, but in light of eternity, every prayer will be answered and every sacrifice will be honored and every good deed will be rewarded and every seed of faith will bear fruit. Revelation 21 says, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. And he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. Friends, I think the key to dreaming big is thinking long. And the bigger the dream, the longer the timeline And if you're thinking in terms of eternity, you should have some dreams that can't be accomplished in your lifetime. They can't be accomplished in your lifetime. This entire section of scripture in 2 Samuel chapter 23 from verse 8 to verse 39 points to the commitment that David and his men held for the nation even long after they were gone. David and his mighty men were fighting for the next generation of Jews. A kingdom hung in the balance. Notice these words in Psalm 78 verse 1. My people hear my teaching. Listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth with a parable. I will utter things things from of old. Things we've heard and known. Things our ancestors have told us. 
We will not hide them from their descendants. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power, and the wonders he has done. He, has, he decreed statutes for Jacob and established the law in Israel, which he commanded our ancestors to teach their children. So the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born. And they in turn would tell their children, what are we dreaming that our kids and our kids' kids can rejoice in that come to pass? There is so much that God has in store for his church and for his people. Then they would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds, but would keep his commands so the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born, and they in turn would tell their children. Friends, you're going to meet an old man or an old woman someday down the road, 10, 30, 50 years from now, waiting there for you. And that old man or old woman will be you. And you're going to be the composite of everything you do, say, and think today and tomorrow. Their heart will be turning out what you've been putting into it. Every little thought, every deed goes in to that older person. Richard Halverson said, Every day in every way, you are becoming more and more like yourself. Amazing, but true. You're beginning to look more like yourself, think more like yourself, and talk more like yourself. You're becoming yourself more and more. It's kind of sobering. What will we do today that will change us tomorrow? What will we do today that will change us tomorrow? A number of years ago, I remember when uh, we had a guest speaker and uh, Paul Fraser, and he said these words Jesus didn't die just to keep you safe, he died to make you dangerous. I thought, man, that's, that's okay. Can I tell you who I think you are? You're a dream chaser. Friend, you're a dream chaser. So do what you were destined to do. I think sometimes we hear enough, and there's times when we need to be told what we're doing wrong. And the scripture says it's there for our correction and all those kinds of things. But friends, I want to tell you this morning. And no one's ever told you this in a long time or whatever. You're a dream chaser, so start doing what you were destined to do. Start pursuing the dreams that God placed in your spirit and your heart and your life. Doesn't matter how impossible they look. There's three statements I want to leave with you this morning. 1941, when Germany was at war with Great Britain. Winston Churchill gave what is now known a famous speech to a convocation group of students who are gathering, and so he gets up from his place on the platform and he stands at the podium and he says, never give up. Never give up. Never, never, ever give up. Never give up. And then he sits down. Winston Churchill knew something. When you're at war, you never give up. And friends, friends, 
You that are followers of Jesus Christ, we're at war. We're in a spiritual battle. And we all need to make this decision to never give up. To never give up. If you're facing a difficult situation or circumstance today, I want to say never, never, ever, ever give up. Oh, we've all been tempted to give up. Maybe we have for an hour or two or a day or two, whatever. We're called to live by faith. And all of us, we'd love to be listed as one of the heroes in Hebrews. When Hebrews 11 talks about heroes of faith like Abraham and Jacob and Joseph and Moses and David and Daniel and Paul. They all had some things in common. One, they believed God. And two, they never gave up. Even though some of them died not having seen the promise. They never gave up. And they believed God. Great faith comes from great victories. Great victories come from great battles. But I think the majority of us at times... We prefer great faith, but small battles. The enemy wants to get us into battles and wants us to give up. He wants you to give up. He wants you to stop following God. He wants you to stop praying. He wants you to stop reading the word. He wants to stop you from sharing your faith. He wants you to stop those consistent disciplines that you've established in your Christian life. The devil wants you to give up. But God wants to give you blessings and power and anointing and favor. And God says, this is for you. Just don't give up. Never give up on God. Never give up on yourself. Never give up on your destiny. Never give up on your dream. Jesus will never give up on you. Never. I'm tending to, I'm thinking I'm kind of the only excited guy in the room here. Thank you. Wave. You know the old Pentecostal days they used to they used to raise wave hankies, eh? They used to wave Thank you, thank you. They used to wave hankies. Or if you were in the right kind of a church, you'd hear some brother, Amen, brother. Preach it, brother. Jesus will never give up on you. I want to tell you, Jesus will never, ever, ever give up on you. So the decision we need to make is to never give up. And secondly, never get out of relationship with God. Never get out. Of relationship with God. Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship with a loving, living God. I choose to love God and serve God all the days of my life. God is 100% for you. Mark 12, verse 30. 
Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment greater than these. Never get out of relationship with the family of God. Friends, we can all get easily offended. But notice 1 Corinthians 13. That love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. I was to ask you, how many here have ever been offended by a believer, by a pastor, by a church? We've all been there. But let me just remind us. The Bible says that we are dead in Jesus Christ. It's so hard to offend a dead person. Just die. We just need to die daily, Paul said. It's really hard to offend somebody who's dead. I've never tried it, but... There's a lot of things said at a person's funeral when they're dead that I think the person might get offended. I don't know if they're alive, but... Never get out of your relationship with the family of God. We can all get easily offended. We're not getting out of the family of God. Hebrews 10.24 says, And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. I'm not getting out of a relationship with the family of God. Never give up and never get out. And thirdly, never give in. Never give in. Don't give in to the world. 1 John 2.16 For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. Proverbs 6.27 Can a man scoop fire into his lap without his clothes being burned? Can a man walk on hot coals without his feet being scorched? Never give in to your flesh. Submit to God, not to your flesh. Galatians 5.16 So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not greatly you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Never give in to the flesh. Never give in to the world. Never give in to the devil. Friends, the devil's very real. But he's a liar. Your past is not the predictor of your future. God is. The world, the flesh, and the devil want us to give up, get out, and give in. And you're not the only person ever being attacked. How many could say, you've been attacked by the enemy in the last week or month or year? How many? You've been attacked. Come on, put your hands up. Now look around. See, we're all in the same boat. We all understand that we're in a war. And the enemy doesn't like you. Big deal. He didn't like Jesus either. And he still doesn't like him. But he knows you have a destiny. He knows you've got a dream. He wants you to give up, get out, and give in. We need to say, I don't know, maybe we need to practice 2 o'clock in the morning courage. And just for the experience of it, get up and do what Smith Wigglesworth did. Run around the room in a happy dance and just begin to praise the Lord and thank the Lord. Don't call me when you're doing it, but maybe we should all set our timers and we wouldn't Skype, but you know. I wonder what would happen in the spirit realm if we did decide to choose 
to never give up, never get out, and never give in. Never, never. James 1 verse 2 says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Smith Wigglesworth, he had that figured out. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Not lacking anything. Friends, God delights in writing last chapters. And he's writing your last chapter, however long or short that may be. And he's saying, as we've said it numerous weeks, time and time again, friend, the best is yet to come. Never give up, never get out, and never, ever, ever give in. Because the best is yet to come. The best is coming, friends, because he writes our last chapter. And remember in 10 or 20 or 30 or 50 years, when you meet that old person at the end of life, that person is the composite structure of all the things you've been saying and doing and deciding up until that point. When you get there, it's a little late to change who you are. But you can change that person one day at a time. One day at a time. Sweet Jesus. One day, one decision, one thought, one action, one commitment, one smile across the room. Now, I've noticed something. When we get up and shake hands, we do kind of a little circle of where we are. We need to get to, used to doing something a little bit more distant. Like from way over here, coming way over here, and way over here, coming over here, and here going there, and here going there. Not just our own little holy huddle. And I hope it's not just because we say, now's the time to shake hands, can become so mechanical. But I pray that from our heart, we'll have been praying and believing God and doing our two o'clock in the morning courage episodes that when we get here, whenever the church meets, we've got a word, a smile, a thought, an expression from God to give to somebody more than just, good morning. That plastic face we know how to put on. And inside, you're dying. Friends, get ready. The best is yet to come. Harold, the best is yet to come. You think you don't have a job now? You got a job right now. Two o'clock in the morning, friend. Get up and start praising God. You don't got a job right now, but you got an interview on Tuesday, don't you? Something. Two o'clock in the morning, courage. Don't wake your wife. She needs her rest. <laughs> There's a circumstance, a situation that you're facing right now, and it's a battle you're in, and sometimes you feel so alone. Got a text from Kevin Bradley just yesterday, and 
he ratched out his knee and drove something up in. Same thing that his father did. But you did it both legs. He just did it one leg. Faces surgery this next week and then rehab for four or five weeks or whatever. I heard that Sarah was in Children's Hospital because now a little Sarah Como has pre-pneumonia or signs of pneumonia and Benjamin's just getting over it. You don't think we're being attacked? I heard from our sister back here, for all winter she's been suffering from things the enemy has sown her way of this thing and the other thing and whatever. You don't think we're being attacked? Stuff that you're going through. People in our church who are out of work and facing bills that are mounting and all the... You don't think we're under attack? But don't give up. Don't get out and don't give in. Friends, that's what the church is all about. We need one another. Listen, we're not going to hang separately or hang together. What do you want to do? I want to hang together. I don't really mean hang, but... I want to be part of a body of believers who care and who pray and who believe God. My prayer this morning is, Lord, reveal to us the lies that we have been believing. The lies the enemy has placed in our minds. You know, it's so easy for him to place a lie in there when you're at church and for whatever reason you happen to walk in and all the greeters are busy with somebody else and they didn't hand you a bulletin and smile and shake your hand and say good morning and for some reason or other it happened as well when you were going out and as you're getting into your car the enemy is saying see nobody cares come on we've heard that whisper we've heard it And at that moment, we need to say, I refuse to believe that lie. Maybe you need to turn around and come back in and find somebody and shake somebody's hand and say, see, devil, I care. I care. Go tell somebody else your lie, because I refuse to believe it. Each one of us has a responsibility to either accept or reject the lies of the enemy. I can't do it for you. You can't do it for me. The enemy comes and he says, you're never going to be free. See, you've still got that temper. You've still got that craving. You've still got whatever. You're you're just never going to be free. I refuse to believe the lie And I choose to believe in God. He is 100% for me. And he proved it on the cross. When he said, up here I took all your sin, all your stuff, all your baggage. I kneeled it there and I said, it is finished. And then he went into a tomb And the devil thought, I got him here. And he came out after he went and he took the keys. And he unlocked every prison door. In your life and in mine.
Never give up. Never get out and never give in. Never, ever. Twelve years, a woman had an issue of blood. She'd exhausted all her resources. Gone to all the doctors. Nobody could help her. And she determined, if I could just get through this crowd and touch the hem of his garment, I'll be healed. She didn't give up, didn't get out, and didn't give in. What's your issue? What are you facing? What's your circumstance? What's the situation that you find yourself in that the enemy is whispering to you? Some lie, some hocus pocus, something. And it's time for you to decide, I'm not giving in or not giving up. I'm not getting out of relationship with the Lord, the church, my, my brothers and sisters in Christ, and I'm not giving in any lie of the enemy. And you say today, I need to make that decision. Worship team's going to come. Today is a day of decision because in 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, you're going to meet an old person down the road. And that old person is going to be you, a composite, of all of the decisions you made in your life. What are you creating? Who are you creating? What are you believing in your life? Not sure what song to sing, Roger, but I'm sure you can think of one there in the list or whatever. I want to say, friends, we come to church to worship God. We come to church to pray. We come to, God, to church to allow the Spirit of God to transform our life. We come to respond to what He's saying to us. And this morning, there's a circumstance, a situation, some lie you're believing, and you need to decide, I'm not giving up. I'm not getting out. And I'm not giving in. I have decided follow him I'll listen to him and I'm going to be the biggest dancing as dream chaser the kingdom of God has ever seen there's some dreams he's given me and I'm back to believing and I'm back to chasing those 500 pound dreams I'm on a mission to fulfill the calling of God in my life because he has a destiny for me Nobody else can fulfill. Just you and just me. Each one of us has one. What's the dream God has given you that maybe somehow has faded? And you're saying, I'm picking that dream up again. I'm not giving up. I'm not getting out. And I'm not giving in. I'm chasing the dream. God is speaking to your heart on whatever it is. Pastor Roger leads us in the song. Maybe you want to stand where you are. Maybe you want to come at the front. Maybe you want to kneel. But friends, it's decision time. What will you do with the voice of the Spirit of God speaking to you this morning? It's your move.